Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, folks. I hope you all had a rocking weekend. I can tell you that mine was cram-packed working on my daughter's cars. And I got the uh, I got their vehicle going. It took me a day or two. It's funny how you start into a project. should last you 30 minutes. You've done it what seems like thousands of times. Actually, in my lifetime, I think I've done it hundreds of times. And it's just doing a quick brake job. That's it. And I tell you what, you can get so flabbergasted because it's usually just one little bitty bolt that will hold you back. Screws up your whole day, makes you get all frustrated. Then you don't have no good attitude. Your visions get all screwed up. And the movie that you start playing in your mind can cause you to go into a downward spiral if you get in a pissy attitude. And uh, no, that isn't what happened, but I thought, you know, so many times that is what we do. You know, it, it uh, you know, I bought $100 worth of tools, took them back, thank goodness, that's fun about doing that, and, you know, got it, got it working, and then worked on my brakes on my truck. So, you know, you go through your weekend never knowing what to expect, and people laugh because they'll say, hey, Troy, can we schedule something with you? And I'll say, nope, I don't, I don't live by a schedule. And the reason I don't live by schedule for the most part is because I never know. Raising six, having having six still at the house with three of them under under the age of three, you never know what's going to go on. Which brings me to Richard's book, Mock 2 with Your Hair on Fire, and looking at today's chapter, which is which is interesting because today's chapter can conjure up all kinds of all kinds of vivid pictures in your mind. He just titled this Visions. Now, if you're of the evangelical Christian persuasion and I start talking about visions, then some of you could get your dander up and say, oh, what's he talking about? Others will will be sitting there criticizing and saying, okay, is this going to be of a biblical nature? Some of you who are in the the new age, you know, is sitting back, closing your eyes and and thinking, finally, he's on our our side. And I think you're going to find that Richard really goes through this in an interesting fashion. And he shares something that makes a lot of sense, no matter what your preconceived idea is coming into this of visions. He says, see yourself through a series of pictures. This is how we see ourselves. It's like scenes in a movie which we visualize in our mind's eye. This movie that contains vivid scenes of your expectations of how you imagine you will perform or what will happen in any given situation or set of circumstances. I'm going to use my mama as an example for a minute. Because she'll call me on, on a regular basis. We talk at least once a day. Now, there, there'll be a day or two when she gets busy where, where she doesn't call. But most of the time, she'll call me. And sometimes it's early in the mornings because she'll wake up having been pondering thoughts all night about different situations and how the circumstances might turn out. And they become very vivid. She, I mean, she, she sometimes just overanalyzes things. But she will analyze something and look at the picture. I mean, she runs these movies through her mind. Okay, this would be the best scenario. This would be the worst scenario. This could happen. This could, you know. She's very, 
she's very in tune with the fact that she does that. Most of us, though, don't do that. We just we wonder why we act the way we act, do what we do. We never give it a thought. But yet Richard's explaining, we visualize this through what is known as the mind's eye. Every picture, every situation, every fantasy, every reality, every perceived idea, every expectation. Richard says this movie contains vivid scenes of our expectation, our expectations of how we imagine that we will perform or what will happen if we don't perform. Now think about that for a second. What happens if the most of the time, instead of seeing how we will perform, we see how we won't perform? And all of a sudden, instead of trying to come up with a positive solution in our mind's eye, all we see is a negative outcome. One of the reasons I sat around at Christmas time and, and purposely put into my schedule in the evening time the opportunity to watch a couple of good Christmas movies is because when you, when you look at these, you actually see the good story through crazy situations. And those situations, because we're seeing it kind of like from the mind's eye, we get to see everything that's happening around them. We don't have that leisure when it's our own movie. See, Richard says, these are our visions. This is what we see. See, today I'm not talking about visions from God or visions from the devil or visions from LSD or anything else. I'm talking about what we portray in our mind's eye. And the older we get, the more we keep pulling out the old reruns and replaying those instead of creating new screenplays and new movies. Some of us have great success in some areas of our lives, and we suck at other parts. And we've got to be cautious not to keep replaying those old, vivid reruns of failures of broken relationships. And that's what Richard's talking about here. He wants you to do an exercise, and I love this. I think that every one of us should do this. Now, don't do it on the radio show because you'll miss what else I'm going to say, but listen here. He says, take something that you want, anything that's important to you that you really desire. Just close your eyes and visualize yourselves in possession of this. Already having it, already doing it, already being it. Tune into the movie as if you're in that specific situation. My mom shared an example of this the other day with me. She said, just a few weeks ago, man, your your dad and I had three weeks of, of bliss. She goes, not that we didn't snip it a little bit at each other, not that we, we weren't going, but we just had the most enjoyable time. Well, now, there's a there's a part where she can close her eyes. And think back to to that three weeks and think, okay, what was I doing? How was I acting? How was I reacting? What was I doing? What did Don do? What did he eat? What did he he do? How was he relaxing? What was he watching on TV? And she can replay that from a positive standpoint, and she can find some of the key elements of that that she can carry on with her into the next three weeks. Now, because of of just life in general, sometimes things are going to change a little bit. But see, we all have this if we grab from the positive side. Now, I know that some of my Christian friends get frustrated with me. Matter of fact, one of my mentors, Hank Hinegraff, would just 
it'd be all over me for this. But I'm not talking about this the, the new age positive thinking crap that we hear sometimes. I'm not talking about, you know, fake it till you make it, you know, just believe it and it happen. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what Richard's talking about here, where you're visualizing it to create the actions, to create the motivation that you're going to need to carry out a plan of action. Those aren't his words. Those are mine. But take some time. Just sit back and visualize that. And then on a scale of the 1 to 10, I want you to do these things. And Richard writes this down. He says, on a scale of the 1 to 10, was the picture you saw very clear? 1 being unclear, 10 being very clear. Was it almost as if it was in at the movie theater and you were watching it? The second question on a scale from 1 to, one to 10, did you feel a sense of positive or negative expectation regarding whether that result not could but should really be happening on a regular basis? And number three, did you feel you really deserved it? Now, some of you have heard the story of Paige and I and how we, we got together after we'd, we'd left the youth group growing up as kids. I've been an entrepreneur all my life. I was doing some work for a, a small bookstore, the owner of the bookstore, actually. I was doing some work for her, not with her bookstore. Actually, she was going through a divorce, and I was investigating her ex-husband. But I was in the bookstore working with her that day, and she needed a gigantic sign hung outside, and I had my buddy Nick with me, and we'd been talking about women and relationships when he had said, if you had it to do all over again, who's the one girl you'd have never have let get away? And without hesitation, I said, Paige Winship. Without me knowing it at the time, another girl in the bookstore, because I didn't say Winship, I just said Paige, said, are you talking about Paige Winship? And I said, that I am. She goes, she's a good friend of mine. We're getting ready to go on a ski trip together. Now, Paige went on that ski trip, came back, went to Mexico for a couple months. That's what happens when you're single and have money in the bank. And then she married me. But she went out and she had a good time. And when she came back some three months later, she never forgot what her friend had told her on the ski trip. Hey, there was this really cute guy at the bookstore. Now, I don't know if she said cute guy, but hey, I'm making up the story now. So there's this really cute guy in the bookstore, and he said, you're the one girl that he wished had never gotten away. She goes, what was his name? She goes, I didn't get his name, but here's what he looks like, and here's where the bookstore is. And Paige put two and two together. And I happened to be at church that Sunday morning. I'd actually sat down by a cute little filly who was finally old enough that I could date her. She was one of my friend's little brothers. I mean, little sisters, excuse me. Yeah, I'm really weird. And... I was going to ask her out that day, so I sat down, and we were chatting when Paige came up looking hotter than ever and said, you want to go to a movie? And the rest is history. Now, I had played that expectation over in my mind so many times. I was willing to go out there and talk to my friend about it, and when my friend had asked me and the girl was there, the, the whole situation in my life, the way I feel God planned it, came to pass. You that don't believe in God like I do may just say it's fate. 
the universe, whatever. But the truth of the matter is, these are universal laws that Richard's talking about. Because I constantly envisioned what my life would be running around with Paige as my wife. See, she had been like my best friend all through all through high school, after high school. When I came back from the Marine Corps, she was the one that came to meet me. When I would go through problems, I'd call her on the phone. When she'd go through a problem, she, we were just best buds. We hadn't dated since we were 16 years old. Now we've been married 24 years. Think about that. Tally up your points. If your points are 24 to 30, then hang on. You're on your way. If they're 20 to 24, something is standing between you and what you really want. If they're 16 to 20, you may want, but you really ought to expect things to stay the same until you decide to reinvent yourself. If they're below 16, you really don't believe anything positive can happen. Probably you're worried all the time. Worry is a vision, too. If all you do is worry, if all you do is think about what might happen and it's negative, then that sucks. It's awful. Now, for you military guys, you may be saying, Troy, this is all poppycock. You know, I can't go out there and close my eyes and envision what's going to happen on the battlefield. And to a certain degree, you're right. We're, that's because we, we get trained so deeply, it's ingrained in our brain. We actually know how to react prior to. Here's where the military training and what Richard's talking about lines up together. See, although in public I use the word goals quite a bit because that's what the normal vernacular, vernacular is and everybody's used to it. In my life, I don't set any goals and haven't for years. And I know some people think, man, that is bizarre. And it's not. See, since I was 17 years old coming out of the Marine Corps boot camp, I learned that there were no such things as goals for myself. What there were was objectives and plans of action. See, in the military, we go out on a mission. And the mission is defined in advance. And the objectives are set out in advance. And then we create a plan of action to obtain those objectives. If we can't obtain an objective, the plan of action will change. But what we have found along the way is that we had points of conquest to where every time we went after an objective, something positive would happen that we could focus on. Okay, we made this we made this point. We got here. Okay, we're a little bit closer. Okay, there's a canyon. We've got to move around it. We've got to change the plan of action. We've got to put it in. We've got to move around. One thing that the Marine Corps does not account for, nor is it in our vocabulary, is surrender or retreat. We could alter our course. But we had to obtain the objective. This is why in World War II, in the Vietnam War, in the Korean War, in World War I, all the way back to 1775, 234 years ago, when we were put together as a unit in Tun's Tavern, we have been able to accomplish things that other people can't accomplish. 
It's why that every embassy in the United States is protected by the United States Marine Corps and no one else. Is because we do not surrender and we do not retreat. The flag at Iwo Jima is a prime example. After being attacked by tens of thousands of enemy troops, bombarded with bombs from the planes, that flag stood straight, well, stood cockeyed, but it stood from being on the ground. And holds true as a symbol of strength. So see, it doesn't matter where you're at or what you're doing. It doesn't matter what terms you use. The end result is the same. If you have an objective that you want, this weekend it was my getting the brakes working on my daughter's car. I didn't just give up. I knew that if the worst case scenario, I would have to get in that vehicle this morning and take it to my mechanic. I knew that would cost me more money. And some of you may be saying, Troy, why do you even work on the cars? And it's because I really like that. I really love that. Some of the best times I ever had with my dad was working on cars. So when I work on a car, it always brings me back to that comfort zone, that, that excitement that I worked with when I first learned how to work on cars with my dad. So I do that a lot. But see, I knew the objective, the end result objective, if I had to go down that road, would cost me more money. So I created a new objective. I started working over in my mind a plan of action. And it was a good plan. And yesterday I was able to get the little situation that I needed fixed, fixed. But see, a lot of times we don't do this. Richard writes this. Listen to this. The decisions you have made about yourself create the picture you held in your mind throughout the last exercise. Your decisions are created by input that you've received, which comes to you as conversations or experiences. This could be from outside input, things that people tell you. I noticed today on Fox News, where I was watching Fox and Friends, they were talking about a, the story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and how that story is so bad because all the other reindeers picked on him. And he was disabled because he had a red nose and they didn't want him to be part of them and they're poor, some cocky puck but I got to thinking about it and the way it really blends into Richard's story see so many times we let outside influence determine what it is that we put up with a lot of times we let those experiences that we have become facts that we live with and we don't realize that sometimes facts change. And then we let our internal dialogue, sometimes it's that poor me or oh my gosh or I don't want to go through that again, the pain, the clatter, the consciousness that we have. We let all that input program us for the way we turn out. It's kind of like some of you guys sitting down to try to program a computer, not having a clue what the code is. I know just enough about programming to be dangerous, but most people don't know enough even to do that. So what comes out is a is a mess, total mess. And sometimes that's what's in our brain is total mess. Sometimes it's because we have been hurt and we try to cover that up. We try to block it out. We put it in a part of our brain, board it up, and hope that nothing seeps out of it. It's kind of like the old movie The Blob. In Richard's case, 
he shares a story, and I found it interesting. I, I can't relate to this, but I'm going to share a little bit about it. He says, the problem with our computer is that, it's, is that we let just about everyone we've ever met program it. Worse yet, we let ourselves program it. And we actually don't know the first thing about how to write the program. In his case, he played baseball when he was a little kid. He got hit by a pitched ball. It hurt. He cried in front of his friends. So from that point forward, even when he watches baseball today, there's this little twinge in there because he's played that scene over and over and over so much. I had a high pain tolerance, a very high pain tolerance. I've been busted in the head with gigantic rocks. I've had my fingers broke. I mean, it's it's been nuts. I've been cut with knives. So pain is not anything that really bothers me. I faced pit bulls head on when they were coming after my kids, grabbed them by the throat while they were trying to get mine, and carried them back to the pen and then threw them with some heavy-duty adrenaline against the back of that pen so I could close the doggone fence door. So I don't relate to the actual physical pain because of all of the pain that I've taken all my life. Even my chiropractor today will say, you know, you need to start to come in and see me on a regular basis instead of waiting until the pain bothers you because by then you're back so far out of place it takes me weeks to get you put back in. But where Richard and I can find common ground is that words have a tendency to hurt worse because my heart is not near as tough as my skin. And for most people, that's the way we are. See, what words come into our mind, what we hear, we start to picture. So my movies haven't been made in the same light as Richard's. I still do wild and stupid stuff. If I see a puddle of water, I tip my truck right through it. If I'm on the back roads in Florida and I can't see the bottom of the water puddle... I get out of my truck, take my shoes off, and I wade into black pitch water just to see how deep it is to see if there's any way. Because if I can make it through it in that truck, we're going through it. But when it comes to pleasing people and not wanting to hurt their feelings, not wanting them to be disappointed or having them say negative things about me, absolutely that still twinges out there. And anybody that says it doesn't, it's either whacked out or half dead. Here's, here's some of what Richard's talking about when he talks about people's input. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Maybe that's why we have so many affairs today. You're not good enough. Maybe that's why we have so many people failing today. Why can't you be like so-and-so? Oh, I hate that one. We, we don't do that with our kids. You can't do that. That was something I didn't hear much in my household. What, are you nuts? I heard that quite a bit. The economy's headed for trouble. These are all negatives. Well, it's dangerous out there. Be careful. Just keep your nose to the grindstone. Don't get your hopes up. But what about the positives? We love you no matter what. You can do anything that you set your heart and mind to. You're the smartest. You deserve nothing but the best. We are all with you all the way. 
Roy's here. Dream big. Life is worth it. Live life to its fullest. Live an epic adventure. See, those those are what we we surround ourselves with. So in our mind, they can start getting mushy up there, and we we got to weed out. That's why Art Williams always said, change the people around you or change the people around you. That's why your parents always say, hey, look, don't run around with that crew because it's easier for them to pull you down than you to pull them up. The second area Richard talks about is experience. It's the second most powerful source of the beliefs, and it comes from our past. You've always had a weight problem. You're always going to have a weight problem. You've never earned more than blank in your life. Why do you think you can be a millionaire in network marketing? You have problems with relationships. I just have problems with authority. Every time you've tried something new, you've failed. I told you so. Yeah, that's a big one. What about the positives? You've succeeded at other things that were new to you. Go for it. You've increased your income over time. Go for it. You've faced fear before. Just do it. You've learned new things and excelled in them. Go for it. You can change you have before. You can transform a new life. I'll never forget sitting in my high school history class. And my teacher looking over at me, who also loved woodworking, worked at a lumber yard, and he said, Troy, I've come to the conclusion that there is nothing that you can't accomplish in life as long as you want it deep in your heart. You're going to be somebody someday, son. You just got to figure out how to corral that attitude you've got. Man, I never forgot those words. I had an eighth grade coach that looked at me, Coach Word, and he said, You know what? You're one of the most passionate players I've ever seen, even though you're not the most talented. There's nothing in your life you can't accomplish if you want to go for it. And I remember my senior drill instructor saying, Private Dooley, you may just become one of the most decorated Marines in history if you keep it up the way you are. Those are words that penetrated my soul. And every time things get tough, I bring that back, which brings us into the third area that Richard talks about, self-talk. It's the most potential powerful influence that God has given us. If you're a Christian and you, you walk a faith life, this is where you and God, you and the Holy Spirit, probably have a conversation quite a bit. See, it's that internal mind working and God working through it. And you again, you that don't believe the way we do, don't don't get all pissy about it. Don't worry about it. You just go do your thing and, and use the universe or whatever you use. I don't have a problem with that. But we have a broad range of people that listen in, and I'm going to use my background and my face, so deal with it. But it's that self-talk. If you go around all the time saying, I'm a nobody, I'm like Linus in my dirty blanket, I'm like pink, I'm like, I'm like Snoop, whatever his name is. In, in, I, never, I never did like Snoopy or all those people, but Peanuts, whatever it is. You can't be that way. You've got to be positive. You've got to go for it. You know, one of the things I used to do all the time, when I got myself in one of those attitudes where I knew it sucked, I'd put in an action movie. And and as I got older, I'd put in I'd put in The Rock, or I'd put in Stoke Cold Steve Austin because those guys were bald. You know, I'd watch something from from Van Diesel, and I'd say, you know what, I can do. And I knew it was a movie, but man, it would get my brain pumping, and I'd go out and I'd and I'd crank it out. 
you realize that there's not very many real bounty hunters in life? No, who's stupid enough to go face somebody, bring them back to jail if they didn't want to be there in the first daggum place? I mean, folks, you control this. You're creating the visions. Richard wrote something in 2005, and I thought it was great. He said, optimism. You can make up a horror flick or a love story in your mind. It's your choice. Man, isn't that the truth? There's a great movie. I did a training on it. If you want the training, we're going to make it for sale in my newsletter. You can go to mlmhelpdesk.com. Join my newsletter, and you'll you'll get a, a special promo coming out this week in my newsletter. But I used the movie The Replacements, a bunch of has-been second-string football players who got one last chance in life. I started making these trainings after reading Mach 2 with your hair on fire and the way Richard talked about movies, and I thought, you know what, I've got something here I can use. I believe we control how we see life. And for you folks, again, I know I, I piss Christians off as much as I piss everybody else off, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this example. You can go and look at all the prophets in the Bible, and you're going to see them where they, they had fear and they self-talked themselves out of a lot of stuff. The greatest leader in history, Moses, kept telling God, and not me, I stutter. Can't be me, I live in the woods. I actually lived in the desert. Can't be me, I've killed somebody. And yet God used him to move a nation. Who are you going to let God use you to move? Think about that one. I love this book. I love this man. He's helped me this year, and I can't even share all the ways he has. But I'm telling you, he walks his walk. This book is great. Tomorrow, Chapter 5, your movie is real. It's powerful. Folks, have an awesome week. Live life like it's an epic adventure. I'll see you at the top. Be back here tomorrow morning with us on RealMentorsRadio.com. Bye now.